Let us now turn in the Bible to the end of the book of Mark, and at this time we'll read Mark chapter 16. Read all of Mark chapter 16. There we read this word of God. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. Entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled. And were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him, as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive, and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them, as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue. Neither believed they them. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, They shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and sat on the right hand of God. They went forth and preached. Everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. 
May the Lord bless us in the reading of Mark chapter 16. Our text is the last two verses of Mark 16, which read as follows. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the text shows that Jesus had reached the appointed end of his earthly ministry. Jesus had ascended up into heaven. He's no longer on the earth. In the presence of his disciples, 11 of them, in particular the apostles, he was lifted off the earth. The Father sent that cloud that received Jesus out of their sight. Jesus entered into the presence of the Father in heaven and sat down on the right hand of the Father. Now that ascension did not mean that Jesus had nothing more to do as God's prophet, priest, and king. And in particular, as the book of Mark emphasizes, as the prophet of Jehovah. His physical presence and his earthly ministry no longer continued. No longer would he preach personally, bodily, as the man Jesus Christ in the New Testament on the earth or anywhere on the earth. No more would he do his miracles on the earth. Those things were now past. They were now finished. A new phase in the work of Jesus Christ as the chief prophet and teacher of Jehovah over God's people had now begun really had already begun when he died and arose, but now it was clear to the disciples, he is not here, no longer on the earth. He is there in heaven, and he isn't coming back, as they expected. And the angels had to rebuke them concerning that erroneous expectation. In this new phase, Jesus continues as the chief prophet and teacher of his church but in a different way. This was a new phase for the apostles. In the resurrection, the apostles learned by the various appearances of Jesus Christ. Yes, he is risen. Yes, he is a man, just as he was before the resurrection, indicated by the food which he needed to eat to show them that he was a man. And he ate the honeycomb and the fish. The appearances showed that the kingdom of Christ had not suddenly fizzled out and now there would be no more kingdom as the disciples expected. The kingdom was established by the work of Christ. But this Jesus, the same Jesus that was with them, would no longer be with them physically, bodily, Go to heaven. And the coming of that kingdom, now in this new phase, this new era of the New Testament, would come to pass in a better way. A way which would 
more clearly show the power of the Word of God and the glory of the Word of God to build and to gather His church. The Lord would do that through the preaching of the gospel by the, by the apostles. That's why we have in verses 15 through 18 the commission of the Lord to the apostles, Go ye into all the world. I am now going to go to the Father's right hand. It is the Father's will and purpose that I not personally and bodily, physically on the earth do this work. This belongs to you. You must go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus commissioned them. Jesus sanctified them to carry out that work. Having then been commissioned by the Lord in this new phase of Christ as chief prophet and teacher to preach the gospel in his behalf, what did the apostles do? Our text is the answer to that question. Our text is very brief, probably briefer than we would perhaps like. But though it is brief, it is exact. It doesn't give to us all the details of what happens between the ascension of Christ and Pentecost and what follows after Pentecost. That belongs to another book of the Bible, the book of Acts, which I think some of you begin to study in Bible study soon. You see the fulfillment of that commission of Christ to his apostles in the early New Testament church. Those details belong to that book. All that the Lord inspires here is the principle. Christ, from God's right hand, sends his apostles, his ministers, to do the work of what? preach everywhere the gospel where they have been sent the Lord working with them and confirming the word which they preached with signs following let's consider that for a few moments this evening preaching everywhere the word we'll answer this first question well what did the apostles do secondly by whose power did they do it And finally, with what confidence did they do this work, which is implied in the text and in the context of the ascension of Christ. The apostles fulfilled the mandate given to them by the Lord of preaching the word of the gospel. The Lord sends them forth, and verse 20 says, they went, as they were sent, they went forth, as preachers. They did not go forth as men who sold the gospel to the highest bidder. They did not plead with the audiences to whom they brought the word, would you please believe what we are going to tell you or have told you. They did not first find out and do a survey in this town or that town and Based on the survey, they decided, okay, this town is worthy of our work of preaching the gospel. Or, well, not that town. That town is worthy 
of our work as ministers of the word. They went as they were sent as official heralds of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Church. They went forth as official representatives of the Lord, really saying to those among whom they preached, we come to you in the name of Christ at God's right hand. And with his authority, not our own, but the authority conferred upon us, we will now speak to you something about the reality of life, the reality of God, the reality of history and what is coming very soon in the last day of history in the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ and so on. And with that authority, having set forth the truth of the coming day of the wrath of God and the coming of the kingdom of God and setting forth the promise of the gospel, with the authority of Christ they declared, repent and believe. means in the second place what they preached was the word they had been with Jesus for three and a half years they'd heard what Jesus preached they heard his parables they saw his answers to those who accused him of being a false prophet and a fraud he heard, they heard the, what we call the apologetics of Christ against those who opposed the truth. He heard all of his instruction and the message they must bring to whomever the Lord sent them. It's not the words of men, not the words and the ideas of the Greek philosophers of the day or the false teaching of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the various other sects of the Jews. They spoke as they were sent and commissioned by Christ to do the word of Jesus Christ revealed to them through the word, through Jesus Christ, the prophet of Jehovah, who made known to them by his identity, by his person, by his natures, by his speech, by his conduct, the whole counsel of God, all of the truth, which we find in Holy Scripture. And at the heart of all of that, they were to preach Christ crucified and risen again. And now at God's right hand, in the presence of the holy angels, working all things after the counsel of the Father's will to the end, well, he will come again, Bring all before him in the judgment and then bring about the new heavens and earth after those goats and the wicked are cast into hell. They preached the word. Still today, that's what the church is called to do. She is commissioned by Christ to preach the word through those men who the church proves and sends, ordains and installs as ministers of the gospel. To preach in his name the word, not of their own imaginations, not of their own, well I think this is a good thing for the congregation to hear, our own opinion, but to bring, not our feelings, but to bring 
the word of Jesus Christ concerning your salvation. And that means all of the truth concerning our sin, our misery, our sinful natures, which are always with us to the end of our life upon earth. Then to set forth to us the promise of the gospel in Jesus Christ, that he is the only remission for all of our sins before the Father, and that in him is life everlasting. To proclaim then all of the truth of the Reformed faith that centers in that Jesus Christ, made known in the Holy Scriptures and set forth in our Reformed confessions. That's the word, or the doctrine, as the book of Mark also calls that, the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ at the Father's right hand in his glory. Then with that word, the apostles, as sent by Christ, announced the call of the gospel, just as Jesus did. They followed or imitated Christ in all of their work. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we read of the beginning of the preaching of Christ. And what did Jesus preach? Preached the doctrine, the word of God, and the call to repent and believe. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. That means Christ, by his preaching, by his word, exposed the sin of those in his audience, declared their sinfulness, their utter hopelessness to save themselves from the coming wrath of God and to deliver themselves from the curse on account of their sin and called them to believe in the Christ of the Old Testament scriptures and the Christ was standing before them for the remission of all of their sins and for the hope of eternal life. Call them to believe in him who is their only righteousness sanctification, wisdom, and redemption. That's what the apostles did too. Read of that in Acts chapter 2, in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Preached the gospel, the truth, the word of Jesus Christ. Set forth the promise of the gospel and the truth that only in Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen again from the dead is all of our salvation. And then called them to repent and believe that truth. This the apostles did not just in Jerusalem, but the text goes on to say, everywhere. Everywhere. Now that cannot possibly mean that the apostles preached in every single possible location in the Roman Empire in that day. When you read the book of Acts, it shows us that they only went to some places in the Roman Empire themselves personally. So when we hear Jesus speak to the apostles in his presence, 
Jesus does not mean that those eleven men must go every single place upon the face of the earth and to every island of the sea in the Pacific or the Atlantic or wherever on the face of the earth. No. It's not possible to take that literally for the apostles. There were limitations placed upon them. Sometimes they would As the Apostle Paul experienced, he wanted to go this way, and the Lord said, no, you must go that way. And he wanted to continue going that way into Bithynia, and the Lord said, no, you must go west now. The Lord directed them. He limited their work, limited their ability to preach. That's also true for the church today. The church cannot go everywhere where the church may want to go preach the gospel. For example, in missions, the Lord may impose restrictions upon us of one sort or another to guide the church and really to guide where he will have his gospel preached and the sacraments administered and the church gathered unto himself. Thus, everywhere has the meaning that the apostles preached the gospel in the every location that the Lord determined. The Lord directed them. The Lord would put the apostle in prison or remove him from his prison, send him here or send them there. The Spirit would move them to go to this place or as we see in the special occasion of Philip the evangelist, the Spirit moved him to go to the Ethiopian eunuch and a special display of the direction that the Lord takes, the Lord fulfills in the work of the preaching of the gospel. The Lord does not leave that work of the sowing of the seed of the word to chance. He governs every, as it were, every seed that falls and is sent by the sower upon the soil, whether it be the bad soil or the good soil. Everywhere then of the text, still today by the church, represented by the apostles before Jesus, that everywhere is guided by Jesus Christ from God's right hand, so that the white horse and rider of Revelation chapter 6 may go in the course which he has set by the Father. Beloved, that's even true. For us as believers in the office of prophet, priest, and king, as Christians, the office of all believer, in the office of all believer, we are prophets whose calling according to Lord's Day 12 is to confess the name of Christ. What really is that confession of the name of Christ? It's really the confession of this, the word of God, the word. And that witnessing that we must do in our various stations and calling in life, in the home, in the neighborhood, on the job, on vacation, wherever the Lord puts us in life and puts us in those situations where you have an opportunity to say something about perhaps the providence of God and some calamity that you face and the people with you whom you may not even know also face. That word which we communicate 
That event of communicating the word doesn't happen by chance. The Lord directs and puts us in that situation. That fulfills his everywhere. He would have his word communicated even by us in the office of believer. In the case of the apostles, as they preached the word, according to the direction of the Lord, the Lord, we read, included with that preaching, signs. At the end of verse 20, the Lord confirmed the word with signs following. What were these signs? These signs are the miracles which Jesus mentions when he commissioned the apostles in verses 15 through 18. Jesus said the disciples would cast out devils, and indeed they did. For example, in Acts chapter 16, Paul cast a devil out of that young teenage girl in Philippi. The consequence, of course, was he was persecuted along with Silas, and they were cast into prison. They would speak in new tongues, which was not just foreign languages, which occurred in Acts chapter 2, but heavenly tongues, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14. They would be bitten by poisonous snakes and not killed. That's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul on his way to Rome, and they had the shipwreck, and he was on the island of Melita gathering sticks, And out of the bundle of sticks there leaped out a snake and bit the Apostle Paul. And the islanders thought for sure he's going to die. And no, in fulfillment of what Jesus said, there was a miracle. He did not die. Use that as an opportunity to bring the gospel to those people on the island of Melita. They were given the special gift that if someone who hated them and wanted to kill the apostles would put some poison in their water and give them that water to drink. They were to drink that water filled with poison. They would not die. They would put their hands on the sick and they would heal them. That's what the apostles were able to do. The Spirit, by inspiration, calls these things not miracles, although that's true, but calls them signs. Why? Because those miracles were pictures concerning whom the Lord saves. Whom does the Lord say? Well, look at the girl in Acts chapter 16. In bondage to the devil. That's us by nature. Look at the, the, the blind and the deaf and the lame whom the apostles healed. Well, that's a picture of us by nature and in our sin. That's what we are. And that's a description of those whom Jesus comes to save. He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then those miracles also showed the power and the glory of the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ to take us, unworthy, undeserving, worthless, and to save us, unto himself and to declare to us I died for you I gave up everything so that you who are nothing 
might have everything in me. And then those signs show, those miracles showed the result of that divine grace. That those who were once sick and maimed and deaf and dumb, now, with their faculties restored, would praise and worship the Lord and make confession of their faith and be brought into the church through baptism and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth by a true and living faith in him. The miracles also pictured the power to produce that fruit of the life of Jesus Christ in us. The Lord added those signs to the preaching of the gospel. And that brings the question, what is the relationship between those miracles and the preaching of the apostles? Well, negatively, beloved, those miracles were not the main attraction as it were, in the work of the apostles. They were not the chief means of grace. They were not the main thing that gathered the church. When Peter and John were in Samaria, Simon the sorcerer thought so. He wanted the Spirit so he could do those miracles, because to him that was the main thing. No. Still today there are those in the church world, especially in mission labors and in the Philippines where our churches have done some work. There's a group of churches there who believe that miracles must be done for the gathering of the church. The miracles of healing, the speaking in tongues, and extra revelation that all must continue for the gathering of the church. The preaching of the word is not sufficient. We must also have miracles. Beloved, that's not what the text teaches. The text clearly establishes the relationship. When it says, there's the word preached, and then we have the words, with signs following. They did not take the lead. Following means they were servants. They served the preaching. Like a servant who follows the orders of his master. So the miracles followed the master of the preaching of the word. They were servants to the Lord and his word, which was preached by the apostles. And that relationship was only temporary. They served the preaching as pictures to the audience of the Christ whom the apostles preached. The necessity of Christ to save us from our sins, the power of Christ to do that, and the work which he accomplishes in us and through us by his spirit. But that relationship came to an end. When the apostles died, these special gifts of healing, speaking in heavenly tongues, and extra revelation apart from the Bible, because remember, the New Testament had not been inspired yet. That wasn't completed until the end of the first century A.D. But when the last apostle died, Apostle John, near the end of the first century, these signs were not needed anymore. They ceased. And we know they ceased 
We know the apostles themselves knew it would come to an end. How do we know that? When the apostle Paul gives the mandate to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. What does Paul command Timothy to do? Does he say to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word and don't forget the miracles. Don't forget the speaking in tongues and the extra continuing revelation. No. After he explains in chapter 3 the truth of divine inspiration regarding the Holy Scriptures of the Old Testament and those which the Apostle himself knew he was writing under inspiration and those which Peter had written and Mark and others had written already, even James already had written, he then goes on to say to Timothy, now preach the word. it. And then in harmony with what he says at the end of chapter 3, he doesn't qualify that, but no, preach the word. That is sufficient to rebuke, to correct, to instruct, and to thoroughly furnish God's people unto all good works. That's it. Signs are no longer needed because they're all here in the Holy Scriptures, all the miracles that we need to show to us the power and the glory of the Word of Jesus Christ to save us. It's in all of Scripture inspired by the Lord. And that's what remains for us as God's church to do in the rest of the New Testament, to preach this Word of God in the everywhere that the Lord is pleased to send His church. With that, the apostles went out and accomplished their work. Did they do that in their own strength, in their own power? The answer is no. And we know that's true from the chapter itself. In Mark chapter 16, the apostles demonstrate that even after the testimony of Mary Magdalene, the other women who were at the tomb, Even those who on their way back to Jerusalem had Jesus come to them and appeared to them personally, or the two travelers to Emmaus whom Jesus accompanied and then revealed himself at their house in Emmaus, all these come to the apostles and tell them, Jesus is risen. And yet, they believed them not. Jesus must come to them in verses 14 and following and rebuke them. For their unbelief. Could they then preach the word in their own strength? No. They did not have the understanding of Christ crucified and risen again of themselves. And the apostles themselves knew that and even confessed that. When all the people ran together at the temple in Jerusalem when the lame man was healed and they all thought, wow, look what Peter did. Or when Paul stopped the people in Antioch of Pisidia from worshiping him by sacrificing at the front gates because of a miracle he did, he he told them to stop. The apostles would have none of that idea that they themselves of their own strength or power 
could do these miracles or by implication could even preach of their own power. They never took credit for the miracles which they did or given the power to be instruments to accomplish. Never took credit for the power or strength to preach the word faithfully. And so must we, beloved, we must believe and confess that the strength to preach the word of the gospel as a church or a minister of the word or even the strength as a believer in the office of prophet to confess the name of Christ and to witness of the scriptures to the neighbor, to the friend, to the parent, to the child, to the co-laborer in the workplace or the customer at the job site. In those occasions where God puts us and there's an opportunity to say something of the word. Of ourselves, we don't have the strength to do that. It's not possible on our own. It isn't. As long as we're here in this life, we are weak and sinful. Even pastors are prone to error, prone to weakness, prone to forsaking the sheep, prone to problems. We don't put our confidence, we don't put our trust in our own arm of flesh as though we have the power to speak the word of God. We don't. If we think we do in pride, the Lord will humble us very quickly. Like the apostles, we confess that yes, the church is given the opportunity and the privilege to preach everywhere, but it's the Lord working with us. It's the Lord confirming that word with signs following. It's the Lord working with us. Now what does that phrase mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that, well, the Lord does his part, so many percent, And then we, after the Lord has finished his percentage, take over what he has accomplished, and then we kind of finish it off, and that's the work of preaching the word, gathering of the church. It's not a synergistic activity or work that we do. When it says the Lord worked with them, it means something far more glorious and something far more sure concerning that work of the preaching of the gospel and its fruit, its purpose. It means that the Lord accompanied them as renewed and sanctified mouthpieces of the Lord so that when they preached and they did and their mouths moved and their minds were working, it was the Lord giving them the faith and the strength to understand, to know what to say. And then to be convinced of what they needed to say. And then to say it to, to, the, to the audience to whom they were sent. And when doing the miracles that the Lord prophesied they would do, the apostles did not decide, well, I think there's a lame man over there in the temple. And so Peter and John conferred together. And they voted, yes, let's now go heal that lame man in the temple. No, the Lord directed them by his spirit. The Lord gave them the power to say and to speak, and through them, 
The Lord delivered that lame man from his disease and gave him the strength to stand up and leap up and down in the temple with great joy and thanksgiving. When it says the Lord worked with them, we must understand that the with is the Lord in his presence, in his disciples, by his Holy Spirit. So that the Lord is with his apostles and with his church in a way far more closer than he could ever possibly be bodily and physically. He is with all of his servants in the New Testament by his Spirit to work in and through them the sowing of the word so that the word may bear fruit in the good soil. Those whose hearts he by the Spirit has made soft and deep and clean. Now, was it clear then that the Lord was with them, in them, by the Holy Spirit, as a friend that would never leave them nor forsake them? And the answer is yes. The Lord was with them in their preaching labors. He strengthened them to preach. He gave them courage upon courage to preach in situations that we read of in the book of Acts, which are amazing. Paul is stoned in Lystra. If that were us, and not dead, we would not go back into that city. What does he do after the Lord miraculously raises him from the dead? He goes back into Lystra. Does he go into retirement? No, he goes on to the next city and continues to preach the word. He is not deterred from the mission which the Lord gave him to do. Where does that kind of strength come from? It doesn't come from us, but from the Lord. And then confirm the word which they preached with the fruit of their labors. Not just those who rejected that word, which is also fruit, also the good fruit of those whom God ordained to eternal life by believing the gospel which they preached and being joined to the apostles and and the truth which they taught. Then also in addition to the fruit of the preaching, the Lord accompanied them in the way of the miracles. You see, the miracles not only illustrated the gospel They are also the witness to the audience that the Lord whom the apostles preached wasn't just this historical person back in history a few weeks or months or years ago for the apostles. No, he is not here in this earth, but he lives at God's right hand. He lives with us, in us, by the Holy Spirit and is working through us. These illustrations of the gospel which we preach. was very clear to the enemies of Christ that Jesus was not dead. That's why the Sanhedrin put all of the apostles in prison. They thought they got rid of Jesus. Then they realized in their unbelief, no, we haven't. They keep talking about Jesus being risen from the dead and in their unbelief rejected him. Rejected the miracle which the Lord did through the apostles in the temple. That confirmed, that was a witness of Christ to the faithful preaching 
of the apostles and was a clear indication that these men, unlearned as they were, were given the knowledge of the truth by Jesus Christ, our chief prophet and teacher, through the Holy Spirit. And beloved, that's what the Lord still does today, the true preaching of the gospel. He confirms that. He confirms that he is with that word, brought to us through the means of grace by the the minister of the word. He doesn't confirm that that's the true word by special miracles of healing or speaking in tongues or continuing revelation. He confirms that through the scriptures and according to the Reformed Confessions. So that when we hear the word of God preached, we hear not just this text, but this text in its approval by the rest of Scripture as the true word of God. We have the confirmation the Lord gives to his servants by his grace the strength to bring to us the word that we need for our souls. Beloved, blessed are ye who hear that word of the gospel of Christ crucified and risen again. Blessed are ye when that word, by the strength of the Lord through his servants, is given to you. You feed on that word and are strengthened to be faithful prophets of the Lord, to go and to tell in your various spheres of life the great things that God has done for you and in you by Jesus Christ. And finally this evening, with what confidence did the apostles do this work? The answer to that question lies in the ascension itself that takes place and is recorded in verse 19. The ascension of Jesus Christ sealed the gospel of Christ as absolutely true. For in the ascension of Christ we have that final seal of God upon all of the work of Jesus Christ which he accomplished for his church. And we have the seal of God upon the prophecy of the word which Christ declared in all of scripture but also personally in his own preaching. Whatever Jesus said, for example, concerning the the last days, what will happen before his final appearing, the ascension declared that is absolutely true. You understand if there were something erroneous in what Jesus prophesied, or there was something missing in the atoning work of Jesus Christ and the cross, God would never have raised him from the dead. He would never have brought him to his right hand. Because Christ is there. And he is there permanently. He is anchored to the throne of God's glory as the Christ and as the Lord of glory. That is the sure seal that the word of Jesus Christ, which the church is sent to preach, that word is the truth.
Thus, beloved, the word which Christ declared through Genesis 3, verse 15, that is true. The seed of the woman does have the victory over the seed of the serpent. All the things which God declares in his word, all of the promises which he sets forth, even to us, those promises are absolutely sure. The word of God does stand forever. It is anchored to his sovereign almighty throne and glory. Thus when Jesus ascended into heaven, that Christ upon whose word we depend for everything in body and soul and for our everlasting salvation, that Christ went to the place of all sovereignty and power, which means every word of our salvation, which Christ speaks to us, is absolutely sure. Now you can understand that when the apostles went as they were commissioned, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word which they preached, they went forth with confidence, courage. That confidence, that courage they would need, and we can see in the book of Acts, they did receive because of all of the opposition they had to face. All of the problems which they had to work through needed that courage, that confidence in the word which they preached, the confidence that the word would save God's people from their sin, that word would protect the sheep from the wolves, all the kingdom of darkness, that word would preserve them. Apostles were faced with much opposition as Jesus was. The devil tried to destroy their work. The world tried to destroy them. The false church at the time, the Sanhedrin, tried to kill them. Wicked Herod tried to kill them. They had the opposition of their own sinfulness. Think of the dispute between Peter and Paul. In Galatians chapter 1, Peter sinned. He erred. The apostles knew how small and feeble the church was in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Paul marvels at how soon the church had departed from the truth which he had taught them. Similarly, we also know all the perils and the threats which the church today faces. All of the opposition we experience as well. Heresy, false teaching, lawlessness, disorderliness, insubordination to the office of Christ in the church, radicalism. But besides that, there's our own sinful natures, our lust for attention, our pride, our covetousness, how easy we're distracted by vanity. And when we realize being distinctively reformed in this day and age is very unpopular, we're prone to discouragement. 
When as parents we seek to raise our children in the fear of the Lord by, for example, something very simple, praying before our meals, and then doing that and being laughed at by the wicked around us for beginning our meals with prayer. We're prone to be discouraged. We're prone to be quitters. Prone to doubt the efficacy, the effectiveness of the word of Jesus Christ to do what it says it will do in us and our seed and in those outside the church to bring them in to God's church and all the earth. Does it work? Sometimes we wonder, and we shouldn't wonder that, but we do. Or we're prone to be self-confident. I know, or I have the understanding, or I have the strength to do this or that. No. Beloved, we need the Lord miraculously to work in us the understanding of his word. The word of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. The absolutely true prophet of Jehovah whose word is our only hope and salvation and to give us confidence, not in ourselves, but in the word itself. We are to preach, instruct to our children, or to witness to those around us in life. Trust in Christ and his word to accomplish his purpose. We need the Lord to work in us the faith to believe that the cause of his word is sure, is victorious. We need, like the apostles, to have our hardness of heart and our slowness of understanding to be cured so that knowing the word, being confident in that word, we may go and tell or go where he sends us and preach that word faithfully. Therefore, beloved, go forth then in the confidence not of yourselves, not of men, but in the confidence of Christ, in the true faith, believing in the victory of your crucified, risen, and ascended Lord Jesus Christ at God's right hand who rules over everything, even our souls, all the souls of his sheep. And believe that the word which we preach or in our daily life, the word which we witness, as we should, the Lord will make that word effective to his glory and to our salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, grant us the grace to believe that that work set forth here in the text continues even today. Christ has sent forth his church in the New Testament to go everywhere where he determines to preach the word. We pray, Lord, that that word may also be preached in this everywhere, here in our congregation faithfully continue to be done so faithfully each week by our pastor. Lord, build us up with the word of truth 
This is the food for our souls. This is the word by which thou dost work in us faith, and call us out of darkness into thy marvelous light. Continue that work in us by thy spirit, so that we may praise thee daily for the great things thou hast done for us and in us, for the glory of thy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.